1: But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door.
2: Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you on board the bus, the big Christmas red bus that's heading due north towards Christmas, winding down towards the end of the year. Robbo, welcome to this week's show. Thank you, mate. How are you going? Yeah, doing well. I've got to say there's plenty of Christmas cheer in the studio
3: the last couple of weeks, so uh, spirits are high, literally. Indeed, <laughs> including AB. This is Rodney from Dan Murphy's, from all the guys in the back room who listen week in, week out. Thanks to the Mojo Radio Show and Merry Christmas. The
0: Mojo Radio Show.
2: So, folks, uh, here's the backstory. I did an experiment last month and I got up each morning and watched a YouTube clip. Uh, Let's call it a motivational YouTube clip. And the one that I was watching, the series I was watching, which are very, very good. They're quite long, but they're quite good. is called Impact Theory by Tom Bilyeu. And as I was listening to one of the clips, listening and watching, I came across a guy called Lucas Schwieckendijk. And I kind of like what he put into the clip. And off and off the cuff, I shot off a quick email to Lucas saying, mate, I really like your stuff. Is there any chance you come onto the Mojo Radio Show here at down under and be a special guest prior to Christmas? And he said, Yes, he would, all the way from somewhere in Germany. Uh Lucas, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Come on, mate, you
3: can pronounce it gaz. <laughs> Lookin' in, look in Heistenson. <laughs>
1: Close enough. Come on, Lucas, give it to us. Hildesheim, time, Germany.
3: Nice, there you yeah, go. That's just another way to pronounce it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for having
2: me. <laughs> Mate, it's a real pleasure. For those of us who don't know you, uh, tell us, when somebody asks you what you do, how do you like to reply?
1: Um, I'm sort of a jack of all trades in the way that I i am a life coach, so that's like the technical way to say it or the technical way to pronounce it, whatever. But I'm I help people with their lives in general, with business relationships, motivation, figuring out what they want to do in their lives, etc. And that can go anywhere. So I, I don't specify like, OK, I'm just business coach. Or I'm just I have a certain plan. Usually we just go into a call and we see what happens. So, it's very personalized, and I very much enjoy doing that.
2: Well, that's good because it's kind of where I want to dig into today, Lucas, with the people you're working with, your observations, and you do a lot of writing. It seems to me there are a lot of people who are happy on the outside, they're putting on a good facade, they're smiling a lot. But it seems to me these days there are a lot of people who are feeling very empty on the inside, have lost direction, have lost their mojo and they're really struggling. Is that something you're seeing? Uh,
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, That's almost every one of my clients, almost every call I get on, it's the same thing. And I used to study psychology before I did this. And even there, we learned that depression right now in today's society is just on the rise and getting more and more and more because people are just not happy. Um, And most of that, if I may jump that far, comes comes from... The fact that they're not pursuing what they want, but instead getting all the influence from the outside world and getting all that thing. Okay, you have to succeed. You have to do this. You have to make money. You have to do all of these different things and all of these different expectations come to them. And so they put on a mask because that's the only way they can like. Uh, be accepted by their peers, be loved by the people around them, etc. And that makes it very difficult for people that want to do something else to then take that step and say, you know what, right now I really want to pursue this and I'm going to do this and if it fails it doesn't matter because I want to give this a shot uh, because I think this will make me happy. People just don't have the courage to do that and even if they do, then we get into a whole nother situation where – It doesn't come that fast.
2: So somebody's hearing this and they go, I'm stuck. So that's me. I mean, I'm putting on a good facade. People think I'm happy. In fact, in some cases, people could say they think you have it all. It all looks rosy from the outside but they're stuck. When you have somebody ring you and ask for your services and start to work with you, what's the starting point for you? Where do do you start to take somebody to help them find themselves? The
1: very first thing I do is I try to make them forget about everything that's going wrong right now and all the stress and all the ways they're stuck. Just make them forget about that all because it just doesn't matter right now. They're in this situation and, yeah, that sucks, but as long as they keep thinking about that, they're not going to be open up to all the stuff that excites them or makes them happy or that they really want to do. They're going to be in what's known as in the scarcity mindset and thinking, oh, no, how life sucks. Oh, no, I'm so alone. Oh, no, everything's so awful. And then all that good stuff is not going to come in. So that's the first step, just letting them know, you know what, for this hour working with me, we're just going to forget about all, all about that. We're going to be happy. We're not going to think about all this negative stuff. And then... The next step is actually finding out what it is that excites them. And one of my favorite things or one of my favorite ways to do that is a little exercise where I ask them the following question. So imagine I was a genie, like you just rubbed the magic lamp and I came out and I have, you have as many wishes as you want. You know, we already took care of that, not the usual three wishes, but you only get exactly what you're asking for and nothing more. And even more, I'm a really mean genie. So if you don't specify it, I will give you exactly the negative thing that you didn't ask for. So let's say you ask for being rich. I'll give you money, but I'll make your life miserable because you didn't ask to be happy. So I'm very mean and very specific genie. What are you going to wish for? What's exactly what you're going to wish for? And the reason I do this is because people are often not specific enough in their goals. They say they want to be rich. They say they want to be happy. They say they want to have a big house. Okay, awesome. What the hell does that mean? Like, when do you know that you've achieved it? When do you know that you're happy? When do you know that your house is big enough? When do you know you've made enough money? And because they're not like specific enough, they don't really, they can't really make a plan to get there because they don't know where they're going. They know the direction, but then as you said, people that seem like they have everything, they still don't feel like they are there because they never specified exactly where it was they wanted to go. So that little exercise just makes it very specific and very nice and then lets me know what they really want.
3: Can I wind you back a step just before we get to that point Mm -hmm. in your process? Um, Gary's question centered around someone who's coming to you feeling like the world's on top of them and they're not there. They haven't got their mojo. Is it, yep. po- well, I guess my question is twofold. Is it possible for someone to be in that sort of mindset and not know it? And if they do, if they do realize it as a, an epiphany or whatever, and they come to you, do you deal with that in a different way?
1: Um, to answer the first part of your question, Yes. Uh, most people are, like, when you feel, when you learn about depression and where that's coming from, most people don't even realize that they are depressed or that they are negative. They just deal with it as it comes along. So that's definitely the case. But when they're having the insight or the self-awareness to say that I am in the spot, what do I do? Um, it's again about that scarcity abundance mindset where you want to get them first in a state where they're actually feeling good. Because everything that comes out of that negative space is going to be more negative. You're filled with fear. You're going to act out of fear. You're going to do all of these different things because you're not feeling good. And that's easier said than done because when you tell someone that's been depressed or when you tell someone in a really negative state, oh, just be happy, they don't even know how to start with that. They don't know what to do. And they have never thought about, okay, what are the things that actually make me laugh? out loud, what are the things that actually make me smile, what are the things that actually make me want to jump around like when I was a little kid. And, but that's the first step to figure out just what that is. And it often takes a couple of weeks working with people for me just to get them to a point where they're really happy, really excited and really saying, you know what, right now everything's looking better, even though nothing's changed yet. And that's the point then where we can look into, okay, what specific changes do we need to make now?
2: If I could take you back a bit, Lucas, you talked about people and what does success look like for you personally. What does success
3: look like?
1: I always tell people that success is measured by you know what what they really want out of life, and success for me personally would just be as cliche as that sounds helping a lot of people. Um, the reason for that comes from kind of my backstory. When I, the whole reason I got into this was because I was very, like, I felt very alone. Uh, There was a moment in my life where I was very suicidal, not a very happy place. And at that moment, I, the only thing I could think of was that I never wanted anyone to feel like I did again. And that has pushed me and success for me then means that i helped enough people get out of that spot that i can be myself that i can be free and that i can just i can just show the world that there's another way and i would say i'm already successful i don't need anything more and now we're getting to the stuff that you know i can add on to that but i'm very very happy where i am at now and you know if i get more money if i help more people if i do all that stuff that's going to be awesome i'm definitely not going to say no to that but success to me in general is just you know doing what you want to do and loving where you're at to put it very simple
2: something i've heard you talk about is you've used the term you know, your authentic self how do you help people find their authentic self in a world of comparison a world where envy is growing through social media, we're living in other people's worlds more than our own world. How do you help people find their own personal authentic self, Lucas?
1: Now that's a question. (laughs) Um, I'm currently writing a book and developing a course on exactly this topic because it's just so big. So I will try to put it very simply. And to be your authentic self you have to stop judging other people. Um, as soon as you judge someone, let's let's say you see someone on the side of the street begging for money, and you judge them, saying, "Oh, they're not working hard enough." By judging different races, different sexes, by judging you know everyone you come into contact with, basically, you develop all of these good and bad. Um, you develop all of these good and bad standards, and then if you don't apply yourself to the good end of these standards, you feel bad. So inside, there's this nagging voice always pushing you to do these good things that you yourself developed as good or bad, because it's not innately good or bad. And with that, you prevent yourself often from being yourself, because sometimes what you want to do or what is authentic to you is not what you've learned as good, so the biggest example is when people come to me and ask me, um, I don't know what to do with my life. I have this job, but I hate it. What do I do? Um, the thing I want to do doesn't make me any money. Should I pursue it? And that's you coming from that standard they have that money is good. No money is bad. So they need to make money to be happy, to be good, to be successful, to live a fulfilled life, etc. And they can't have no money. And then when you tell them you need to quit your job and you need to start what you love, they get scared because that attacks their whole sense of self. It attacks everything they've learned. It attacks their standard. It attacks their mindset. And they want to resist that. So the the biggest way to be your authentic self is, first of all, to judge other people and to stop saying, you know, this is good, this is bad, this is mediocre, and just do what. Um, do what you want to do regardless of whether it's good or bad.
3: You could have saved yourself a whole heap of time and just written that instead of writing a whole book about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot more to it than just that. It's a lot simpler
3: than it sounds,
1: but yeah.
2: That's gold. So, Lucas, if we know this stuff,
1: what holds us back? The greatest barrier I think would be to try to please everyone around you. Um, trying to please your parents, trying to please your friends, trying to please even the strangers, fulfilling those, as you mentioned earlier, putting on those masks and then saying, this is now me. When you're at school, you're the good student or the great teacher. When you're at your job, you're the amazing, hardworking employee. You never laugh. You're always serious, etc. And that may not be you. So when you stop and this sounds really bad at first, but when you stop caring at all about everyone around you, including your friends, your family, your loved ones, everyone, on a basic uh, principle, and just say, you know what, I'm going to focus on me first. I'm going to do what I want, and the people around me either they're going to love that or they can get get the hell out of my life. That step doesn't mean that everyone will leave. It just makes you free and makes you independent and makes you do your own things. And then the people that come into your life are the ones that love you for who you are. And I know that's something very cliche that people already that should people already should know, but they just don't because they're too focused on that everyone likes them. And, you know, that's not the point. You're, to be honest, you are a jerk to a lot of people. You've heard people before. You're not going to be liked by everyone. I know I've been a jerk. I know I've been an ass sometimes, and that's okay. I accept that. Some people will never like me. Okay, whatever. I've been there. I've done that. I thought that was the right choice at the time. If it wasn't, then it wasn't. They can't change that now. It's time to move on. And If those people don't like me, okay. That's unfortunate, but there's so many more people that like me, that love me, that wanna be with me and that wanna be around me when I'm me. So no, it doesn't matter. But this all this apologetic um, attitude, oh, I always have to make everyone like me. Always, I always have to make sure that everyone accepts me for who I am. That's what blocks people the most.
2: It would be pretty confronting and quite scary for most listeners to take an attitude of not so much being concerned or not caring about others' attitude. And it's, it's, it's critically important as a stepping stone. How do you talk people through the fear factor, Lucas, of people being scared to make that move and the fear that comes with making a decision like that or taking an attitude like that?
1: The first step is <laughs> for them to actually tell me off. So when we're on a call, just having them tell me, you know what, just say it out loud, say it as often as you need to. Screw you, Lucas. I hate you, Lucas. Stop talk- telling me what to do, Lucas. And just telling them to tell me off because that's the like, that's the best environment to do it first in. And usually, you know, I've helped them out a lot by that time, so it's, it's not like um, they actually want to tell me off, but that's the step they need to make and then kind of – going up the ladder of telling people, first of all, telling them no um, and being more aware of what they want instead. So it's not just about telling everyone to go screw themselves. It's about knowing what you want to do and then owning up to those things that you want to do, regardless of what the other person thinks. So if a friend asks you to help them move and you don't want to do that, then just say no. You don't need to justify yourself. You don't need to give a reason. If you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. It's like saying if you don't like olives, you just don't like olives. There's no reason for that. You just don't like them. That's, that's it. But we try to, when we interact with other people, to justify it. Oh, I don't want to help you because uh, I don't know. Because it's just an emotion. It's just a feeling. So first of all, figuring out what you want to do and then telling other people no is, I guess, the easier way to do that. If you can tell other people to go screw themselves and go away and leave you alone, uh, even better. But that often leads to some sort of arguments or fights because the other person doesn't like that or expect that. So that may not be the best thing to do for people you actually care about. But but the ba- basic line is just have your own standards, have your own um, boundaries that you know and that you uphold and that you're not going to um, take down for anyone, whether it's your partner, your wife, your husband, or even yourself.
2: So coming from a place of being depressed, and I think you said earlier in the show, even suicidal, what was the what was the biggest or most important change you made, Lucas, that helped you get through that
1: period? Um, if I'm honest, I didn't get through the period. Well, I wouldn't have gotten through the period. The fact is that I was at the point where I was ready to end my life and I didn't go through with it because I was too scared to. So I can't really say that there, that I've gotten through it because I just didn't have another choice at that point. But after that, what made me get through it was, first of all, to get help right away. Like, it doesn't, like alone, I can only go so far and I wouldn't, I would have not made it out there without the help of my coach, without the help of my friends, etc. So for anyone in that state, get help. It's, you don't have to do this alone. And other than that, just, just the things we discussed about earlier. So doing the things that you like to do and doing the things that you said you would. That's also one of my things that I say a lot. Um, When you commit to something, follow through with it, regardless of what it is. If you said you get up at six in the morning, then get up at six in the morning. If you say you're going to study an hour a day or you're going to read a book an hour a day, then do that. Don't do it because you want to read the book or because you want to study. Do it because you said you would do it. That's the whole point. If you don't want to do it, then don't say you will do it because that gets you through because it allows you to develop more um, confidence in yourself and more worth in yourself. And when I started really doing um, what I said I would, that's really when things started changing for me. And I think like two weeks after I was so suicidal... I started waking up at 5.30 in the morning and went for a 45 minute jog every morning. And before then I would have gotten up at like eight or 10 in the morning. But I just said, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to just just give it a try and I'm just going to do it. And I did. And it wasn't the, the jogging that made me feel good. It was just the fact that I did it that made me feel better about my life. And that gave me some confidence that I can actually make a change and take my life in the direction that I wanted to go.
2: So how do you set up your day, Lucas? What does your morning look like? So from the minute, what time do you get up and what's your first hour of your morning look like to set you up for the day?
1: Um, Well, I get up at 5.30 still. Uh, Sometimes that changes, but right now I'm getting up at 5.30 in the morning. And... The first thing I do is I basically go immediately to the computer and first of all, I meditate. I usually use guided meditations on YouTube and I just meditate about gratitude for 10 minutes uh, just to feel grateful, um, to get into the right mindset and also as a test that I am actually awake because if I'm not actually awake, that meditation will usually put me to sleep. (laughs) And then I know that I have to, you know, get more active or do something else right away in the morning instead of going through with my normal routine. But if I, let's assume I am quite awake, then the next thing I do is I have my affirmations that I read and then I look at some videos while I eat, like some subscription stuff, some um, people of interest that I really like, some um, channels that I'm a fan of, and then I usually try to do some work. So at this point, it's like, let's say 6, 6.30 right now. And then I try to do an hour of work, just writing for an hour. And after that, it's breakfast. So I haven't eaten anything up until that point. Then it's breakfast, taking a shower, and um, getting my day started in the normal sense of the word. So then starting with my email, starting with my other writing, starting with clients, etc.
3: What are some of those channels that you look at you were mentioning? Is there any that are worth mentioning that you think people should any of our listeners should have a look at?
1: Currently I'm a fan of three channels. So number one is Charisma on Command. I really enjoy that channel. It's about um well, well, charisma in a sense, but it's also about how to uh, be yourself more and what you can take from other people of interest. They make a lot of videos about movie characters or actors and stuff like that, and what makes them likable. Uh, the second channel is a personal development person by the name of Raphael Um Really cool guy, Posts like a video a week, but it's usually very much to the point. He's not a big channel yet, but I followed him for a while and really enjoy his stuff. And the third one that I currently like is Impact Theory by Tom, and I'm going to butcher the last time, but Tom Billieu. <laughs> and that's, that's a really powerful one as well. I really like the talks there.
3: you yeah, right. Come on, guys. You've got a command of the French language.
2: How do you pronounce that one? It's Bilyeu. Um <laughs> Lucas, you mentioned the, um, the dark times. And you said in a way you were kind of still working your way through it. When the dark times close in on you today, how do you deal with that today? How do you deal with the times when you start to doubt yourself as we sit here today?
1: Um, what I've learned to do was to separate myself from my emotions as a whole. So that's including positive, negative emotions, everything. And that allows me to just put it to the side. Um, when that little voice that you mentioned comes in, I've I got this trick from my coach and this is one I uh, still use today. I make that voice sound really, really annoying. Personally, I find Cartman from South Park one of those voices that's just unbearable. <laughs> and when that voice in your head goes, oh, what if, what if we can't do this? What if we'll fail? Uh, I just repeat that over again in Cartman's voice. And I, I know I'm not really good at doing his voice, but it's like, oh, my God, what if we're going to fail? What if we're not going to make it? Oh, God, what what's going to do then? And that just I, I can't help but not take that. I, I cannot take that voice seriously at that point anymore. This is like you're Cartman. You're, I'm not going to take anything you say seriously. And that allows me, if I just do that, first of all, to take a step back from that, because I know it's just this stupid complaint rather than anything. And if that doesn't work, if let's say the problem is really too big, then I will actually schedule a time later in the day after my calls where I say, okay, I'm going to worry about this now or I'm going to feel angry or I'm going to cry at at that hour, but I can't do it right now. I have a client now, I I can't worry about this right now. I'm going to move you to a later time in the day and I'm actually going to feel sad at that point. The big thing there is that I then actually take the time to try to feel angry or try to feel sad or try to feel that emotion. And when you do that, your mind kind of gets the idea, okay, he's actually going to take this seriously. He's not just saying that to get us out of the way, he's actually paying attention to us. And what I tell clients always is that, it's like a little kid that wants attention. That's the voice in your head. And if you just push it away, it's not going to just you know go away. It's going to come back stronger and louder and more annoying the next time. This is one's attention. So you have to say, okay, you know what? We'll play later. We'll play later, but then actually play with it later, actually deal with it later.
2: The The Cartman voice and some of the processes you're talking about are L P, which is neuro-linguistic programming. Have you studied that or is this something you've made up that just happens to have some basis in science? <laughs>
1: um, I find myself going back and forth a lot. So I read a lot of books. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, speeches, watch a lot of content. But often I will find myself figuring something out and then I read up on it like maybe half a year later or then I listen to it half a year later, or I find out about it in some other way. And other times I will read something and I won't realize its effect until half a year later before I experience it myself. So it's always a back and forth. Some of these neuro-linguistic program stuff, I never studied that. Like I said, I studied psychology, but for a little while, so I'm not like the best at it. And I've read a couple books on the matter, uh, but... A lot of these things were things that um, I sort of reinvented the wheel myself and re, like re-started um, myself, but also some things that I just found out that worked. And then when I read up on them later or when I find out that this is actually a strategy, I just go, oh, okay, that's nice. That's awesome. Um, I guess I already know how to do it then.
2: You talk often about mentors having mentors having the right people around you how to find a mentor in your writings what's a great lesson that a mentor has taught you along the way that is profound for you and to this day still helps guide you
1: that's a tough one this has been so much um i would say the The biggest thing that I've had to work on, and the biggest thing my mentor had to work on with me and I had to accept, which is something that I always keep in mind now, is the fact um, that I have to realize I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be now. So when we talked earlier about the fact that I feel successful, that's not something that I just you know picked up randomly. That's something I worked on for a couple of years before I actually started believing in myself and applying it myself. But that's the thing that I really needed to learn. And that really has changed my life, just to accept that this is where I'm at. Now, I'm, I'm relatively young, so I always thought, but I always thought I had to get somewhere faster and I had to do more and I had to do it faster and I didn't have time and I just needed to do it now. And um, every time I thought about that, my coach would just say, you know what, just chill. You have time, and even if you don't have time, you're doing what you're loving now, right? And that was sort of a hint at if I'm not doing it, I should change it. I should pay attention to that and then adjust it. And if I am doing what I love right now, then why am I not enjoying it? So that was more of me getting in the way of myself and then just accepting that, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be now. In 10 years, I'm going to look back at this moment and say, yep, I needed this exact moment in my life. I needed to take that long. I needed all of this to get to where I am right now.
2: I wonder whether that's an an intrinsic thing of the era we're in, Lucas, where people are in a hurry for whatever reason because of our busyness, connectivity, desires, and that's something that's taking us away from the actual moment of appreciating that you are right where you need to be. And right now is a grateful moment. It, it's an interesting thing. I, I reckon that that is intrinsic. It's not, I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's a a moment in time where we just seem to be on our way to somewhere else and to have a desire to get there, but we're missing out on what's going on right now. Don't you reckon?
1: Um, I I have to kind of agree and kind of disagree. Like, I think it is an age thing in the way that the internet has opened up so many doors to looking at highlight reels. Um, when we're on Facebook, when we're on YouTube, when we're on Instagram, we always see the best of people's lives because no one's going to post a picture of them crying on Instagram um, or tell a sob. Well, maybe they tell a sob story on uh, Facebook, but only to get attention. But either way, it's um, <laughs> <laughs> it's about it's about the fact that you always see the best of people's lives and then we look at our lives like as a total and think, oh my God, we're not happy. Even when you watch sitcoms or TV shows, let's just say, you know, Big Bang Theory is really big. Um, You only see little parts of those people's lives in the show. You see the 20 minutes worth and I think then you have like 15 or 20 episodes in a season and that's supposed to cover an entire year of their lives. So you get what that's about seven hours of their lives that are supposed to be equal to the entire year. And you're comparing your entire year to their seven hours and thinking, why is my life not as good as they, their life was in seven hours? Well, of course it's not. That's the highlight of their year is those seven hours. You need to take a break and realize that everyone has crappy days you don't need to get anywhere fast because that's that's just part of it everyone has crappy days everyone sucks it's it's a process and that's awesome too
2: i saw a i saw a scary stat yesterday in a book that i'm reading lucas and it said that we on average the world spends 50 minutes daily on facebook and one in every 5 minutes spent online in general is spent on Facebook. And when you start to talk about other people's highlight reels, comparisons, you can understand why we're not living in our own life and being satisfied with our own worth when there's so much exposure. And that's, that's their actual stats apparently of what's going on in the world and the power of this thing called Facebook.
1: Before it was, I think, the stat that at least in the US, um, there came a study out that says the average person spends four hours a day watching TV. So that's the other side of that um, on average. Well, some people don't watch at all. Therefore, some of others watch more. And it is it is that highlight real thing that people just, you know, you, you can't live without the internet anymore. And then even if you meet people in the real world, they don't talk about their normal day. They talk about what they did on vacation, how awesome it was that they got a project done, uh, how great they're doing at work or what exciting thing happened to them in their personal life. They don't talk about their normal days either. So It's just with the internet, that's a lot more in your face, because people do vlogs, people uh, write it on Facebook, people post all of their amazing pictures on Instagram. And it's even so far so that you don't even have to post real pictures or real videos. You can make stuff up and post it. And people will see that and then compare their life to your made up things and feel bad about their own lives.
2: You talked about your morning routine, mate, and you said that you will look at a couple of websites and you'll watch some videos and you're, I suspect, looking for ideas, content for yourself and your clients, but also things to stimulate your own thinking and hacks you can pick up to apply to your own world. How do you record those? Are you a a journaler? Do you record them digitally? Are you just a guy with an amazing memory where it just goes in and sits inside the steel trap inside your mind? How do you record your ideas as a, as a young go-getter?
1: I have a sheet online use, using simple Google documents. Um, where I just write it all in. I have a, what's also known as a habit sheet where I can track my habits throughout the day. So I, I could pull that up right now and tell you every single one of my habits because I look at them every single day and check them off. And at the right-hand side of that is a is just a space for me to post ideas, for me to write stuff down, et cetera. Um, I would write more by hand if my handwriting wasn't so garbage. Uh, so I usually, I usually type it out more. Um, But a lot of the stuff that I look up or that I uh, listen to or that I read in books, I always try to zone myself in on one thing that I'm going to apply to my own life because I've read so much that I know if I don't stick to one thing, I'm not going to do three things. I'm not going to do five things. I might do one, if at all. Otherwise, I'll just forget everything. So I'll start to try to stick to one thing and then I'll actually try to work on it and I'll worry about that for about a week. I'll try to implement that and then I'll uh, accept whatever has stuck and if I want to keep going, like if it's important enough, I'll keep going, but often I'll switch then to whatever is next.
2: You you wrote something which I found really interesting. I just want you to expand on it for us. You talked about or well, the question you posed in, I think it was a blog you wrote, it said, are you consuming more than you are producing? What's in your mind, looking at your own day or the clients you work with, what's the ratio? What's con- what is consuming? What's producing? And then what do you think is utopia for someone who's living a fulfilled life?
1: So consuming is the stuff that you're passively doing, first of all. And that's often not for... Um, I would say not for a big reason. So when you're watching TV, you're just doing that because you want to or because you can, but you don't have a real purpose going into it. There's no intention in it. Producing is more of um, creating something or doing something with an intention in mind. Now, there's a bit of a gray zone in between those two. Um, I would say the, it, the the ratio doesn't matter as much as long as you have an intention for everything you're doing. If you have an intention for everything you're doing, you can have a 100-0 ratio, you can have a 0-100 ratio. It doesn't matter. You can consume all day as long as it's intentional, as long as you know why you're doing it. Um, If you're not sure, if you're not that self-aware, which a lot of people aren't, um, that's okay. Then I would say try to leave it at a 2-to-1 ratio which is already really ridiculously high. Um, So for every hour that you consume or every two hours you're working, you get to watch one hour of TV. That's sort of a ratio. Um, But that's already ridiculously high if you do it seriously, so don't be afraid also to, if you fall a bit below that or a bit above that, that's fine, but that would be a better ratio. Now, looking at successful people, They, their ratio is vastly different, but that's something that I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to tell what the ratio is because there's no point to it because that's just going to make people feel worse about their own ratios or about themselves. Just know that it's a process. As you do more, as you produce more, you'll find more joy in it. You'll start producing more and you'll start consuming more intentionally and less passively. And that's the whole point.
2: I like talking to people like you, Lucas, because you, you're somebody who allocates time to study success and you become a student of people who are doing well. You're open to all different thoughts around the world. If you had to name one commonality of successful people and by successful, they're living to their purpose and they're achieving something which makes a contribution. If you had to nail one commonality... What do you reckon it is?
1: This is very easy because this is the one thing I always tell people, and that's simply persistence. It's about not giving up on things. So we talked earlier about doing what you said you would do and then following through with it. The biggest example of this is something that's going to come up here in about three or four weeks, New Year's resolutions. People saying, oh, I will do this this year, and then they end up not doing it. For most people, looking back at this year, 2017, they'll find that, you know, they didn't really follow through with this all year or they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. And successful people, when they really reach success, no matter whether that's being rich, whether that's opening a restaurant in, middle, uh, in Central America, whether that's living as a monk in some temple, they always do what they said they would do. They always persist until they get it and they don't stop beforehand and we talked a lot about this today already in this interview here um that it's it's about god i just lost my train of thought but it's about persisting through it it's about doing the things you said you would do it's about um yeah no i totally lost the train of thought there um so let me just it happens let me just switch then um about just not giving up on things. So when the hard times come, pushing through those times, when it's the um, when you feel yourself that, you know, you're not reaching success, that's the one thing I wanted to mention earlier. Um, when you're realizing that you're not reaching fast enough or going fast enough, then to look back and realize, you know what, I am getting there. And no matter if it takes me a long time, I'll still go through with it. I'll still persist. I'll still go. Um and that's something that's very close to my own heart as well, because in the first year where I tried to make myself as a life coach, I didn't make any money at all in the whole first, I think it was even the first 18 months. And that was scary. Like I dropped out of college. I dropped everything in my life. I dropped most of my friends. I didn't talk to my parents for like a couple of months. I um, just let go of almost everything to pursue this. And then I wasn't even making any money. So I had nothing to support me. And I'm not. I think I cried myself to sleep about once every month, or once every other month at least, because I was so terrified of, you know, what if this doesn't work? What if this I don't make it? What if this doesn't happen for me? And I just really wanted to go back and go back to college and just do back all these other things, but I didn't. And I persisted, and I did it, and I just said, you know what? Screw it. I feel horrible, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's not always nice, but if you can persist, if you can keep going, if you can just do another day, just do another day, just do another day, that's what's going to get you there. And you're going to fail. You're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to get kicked in the butt. You're going to experience all sorts of crappy things. And that's exactly where you should keep going. That's exactly when you should go another step and another step. When you look at successful people, they failed more than anyone else and they still kept going. So that's the thing that makes them successful is that they persisted. They just did it anyway. They didn't give up when most people did.
2: It's been said that people seem to learn more about themselves, Lucas, in that struggle. So when they're in that zone of being uncomfortable, when they're being challenged, they seem to learn more about themselves and what they are really made of and what the authentic – Person is. Did you find
1: that in your journey? Yes, yes, for sure. So when I when I talk about, for example, my really suicidal moment, my really negative moment, that was my best and worst moment of my life so far, because it made me realize what I really wanted to do. It made me look back and made me reflect. I felt crap, like really horrible, while it happened, but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that moment in if I could now. Uh, even though like if I met my past self before that moment I would just say good luck (laughs) you're going to have a rough time coming up but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it I wouldn't tell them about anything more about it because I needed that moment and the same way when I describe myself crying myself to sleep I needed those moments too because those moments were really when I tested myself when I grabbed the persistence when I did these other things and what I do with clients a lot, a challenge that anyone can do, is the 24-hour challenge. And this is ridiculous, but it's do, working or trying to produce for 24 hours without stopping. Bathroom breaks and getting something to eat excluded. You may go to the bathroom, you may uh, eat something, but you may not sleep. And then just working for 24 hours without stopping, working throughout the entire night and trying to create something. If you're not sure what, then write something or record a video or draw something. But do something. Do not consume. Do not watch videos. Do not watch TV, etc. And just produce. And in those 24 hours, you're going to learn so much, especially towards the end. That's good. That's a, that's that's an interesting process, Lucas. Yeah, it it helped a lot of people before. Although it's it's tough. It sucks, especially when you're getting towards those morning hours, 3, 4 a.m., and all you want to do is sleep, and then you have to keep going, you have to push yourself. But I, I try to do this at least two, three times a year, and it's always amazing. The, the first thing you notice is that, it, that your sleep isn't binding you. When you wake up, when you go to bed, nighttime, daytime, time of the day is not as important as you think it is, and that already is very freeing. And then the next thing that you learn is you can actually do much more. Than you thought you could. I would
3: imagine for a lot of people, that'd be very confronting.
1: Uh, yeah, it is definitely very tough. <laughs> that's why I said that right away, because this is not an easy exercise by any means. But that's why, you know, you don't have to create something of value. That's a big thing you have to keep in mind. Even when I do this exercise, I know that for at least the last eight hours of that 24-hour period, whatever I create is not something I can post or use. I have to scrap that most likely, because it's just... I'm too tired to make anything of high value. (laughs) And that's okay. That's okay.
3: But there would be some good ideas that would come out of that, surely, that stuff in those last few hours. Like, it may not be perfect, but the ideas, I'm sure, would be something that you could cling on to.
1: Right. What I I usually do is I write drafts on Quora and I look back on those drafts and I just – I just shake my head because the sentence structure doesn't make sense. The grammar doesn't make sense. There's misspellings all over the place, but the idea, the basic idea, you're right, that that's still there. Um, but everything else about it, like I, I barely think that's English when I'm writing anymore. <laughs> but, you know, it's like 3 in the morning after working already for like 19 hours, so yeah. whatever.
2: So, Lucas, you've, you've been through obviously some hard times in your own life and you now spend your life being of service to others and helping them as a personal coach. If you were a personal coach looking at yourself right now and self-diagnosing yourself, what areas or area are you looking to improve upon yourself? What's your biggest driver now in self-analyzing yourself? What are you working on?
1: I think I'm working on really hard right now is having um, some monthly and yearly goals that are bigger that I can actually achieve. For now, I've just been trying to, you know, power through um, the usual stuff like writing a quarter, talking with clients, um and writing my book and normal stuff, but I wanna produce more um, finished products, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I'm having this course in development, I have this um, book in development, and I actually wanna finish those things and wanna post those things, I wanna publish those things, and I wanna create more goals like that, so I actually have more hard-on things to give to people that, for example, can't coach with me because either I'm too busy or they're too busy. And um, that's something I really want to do for me, because for now, like I said, I've just been doing the same thing, same old every single day. And I know I'm progressing, but I feel like I could do a little bit more. So finding that line for me where I can push myself a bit harder, but not going too far over that production line and still um, being satisfied, that's something that I'm trying to work on hard right now and to see how far I can push that while still feeling great about myself and about where I'm at.
2: I recently interviewed Jason Gaynard from Mastermind Talks, um, and he is a master of creating masterminds. And I saw on your website you have your own mastermind. Is that something you facilitate and run or is it something you're a part of?
1: I do have a mastermind that I did run currently. I don't have one running right now. I keep it open because I, you know, I'm still open to the idea. I used to be part of one. I used to um, lead one and I like mastermind groups, but it's not something that I desperately um, – like not something that's at the forefront of my mind right now. That being said – um you know, I've been part of one. I've coached once so I've been on both ends of the spectrum, and it's just something that can be very beneficial, although personally, I like being the one more that is part of the group, not the one that's leading the group just because you have less things to worry about. but um that's just for the beginning part.
2: So if people want to learn more about Lucas, uh where do you send people? Where's the best address to send the people?
1: uh the best address would be Quora um quora.com because it's just the the place where i have my most content i think currently i have over 2700 answers written in terms of self-improvement business relationships etc so if anyone wants to learn more about what i do what i teach or my style they can easily just look through any of those answers and get an idea for who I am. You know, writing also always shows something of the writer or the author as well. So that's the best place also to get some free content, some free stuff from me. And uh, that's the profile I use most often. So updates, new things, that's all going to be posted there as well.
2: You're quite prolific on Quora. Why, why did you choose Quora? <laughs>
1: um. That goes back a little bit. So when I started, uh, when I when I actually started doing this life coaching thing as my uh, um, on my own, I wanted to write. I I knew that I liked writing, uh, but I didn't know where to start. So I actually started on WordPress and created a blog, and I committed to writing one blog post a day for 365 days, and I did that. And at the end of it, I had about 30 followers, 20 of which were family and friends. So it just didn't go anywhere. And, um, my dad, like, I think eight months into this, he on the side mentioned this thing he was working on, which was Quora. And I didn't look into it until like three months after that. And then I just looked into it and realized, Hey, here's, here are people I can help right now. Here are people that have questions that need help that, you know, I can give something to right now. So I'll, I'll dabble in that. And, you know, then I wrote an answer and I wrote another answer. And within like a week, I already had more followers there than I did on my blog. So over time, then it changed that I did more and more there, but also because I just got feedback because people actually read it because I could actually learn from these people that read it. They commented, they followed me, they uploaded stuff. I could see what people liked, where I may be struggling, what people didn't like, and That gave me a lot more value as well as it did other people than writing for 10 people on a blog that no one knows about.
2: Well, I think it's fair to say, mate, that uh, 14 million views on Quora is a fair improvement upon 30 readers of your blog after a number of months. So uh, I think it's fair to say it's working.
1: Yeah, it is. I think right now I'm already up a bit further than that. I think we're close to 19, 20 million views now. Wow. Um, ah. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty insane. Um, but it took, I think, until I reached my first million, it took six months. And in those six months, I wrote three to ten answers every single day. So that, that wasn't something that just happened either.
3: 20 million is close to the amount of Disekis Gary Downs on a Friday night. Uh, Lucas, this has been great. I really enjoy pe-
2: talking to people like you who've got a good, young, fresh perspective it hasn't been easy. You've battled your way through it. You're writing great stuff. Your work on Cora is just brilliant, mate. So um, all the way from Germany, we really appreciate your time, mate. Thank you so much for your your sharing and being so honest and upfront. It's been great. Uh,
1: thank you so much. It's been an awesome time. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, and I really enjoyed it too. Uh, I love having talks like this as well. Merry Christmas.
0: To
1: dance with Father
3: Christmas. The Mojo Radio Show. You know, I've got to hand it to you, mate. You were in the dressing room before the show going sweak and dig, sweak and dig, sweak and dig before we turned on the microphones, and uh, you managed to nail it. Well done.
2: i uh, I gotta say, when I read his name, I had absolutely no <laughs> clue how to say it. <laughs> it's
3: one of those lines you look at and go, mm, right.
2: Yeah, and I can say it, but if you ask me to write it down, there's no chance.
3: Absolutely. Good Uh, thing his content is awesome though, right?
2: Now, uh, before we go, uh, I
3: believe one of your mates is doing a good deed for Christmas. Yeah, I came across something during the week that just shows that the Christmas spirit has already started. There was a post on some social media from a dad who basically was saying, look, I know times are tough for some families and you can't exactly buy your kids what you'd like to for Christmas. uh, And I'm offering my help. Uh, so get reach out, get in touch, and uh, and and I'll see what I can do. And that by itself is pretty amazing. But there were one hundred and eighty six comments, I think, underneath that post. And at a glance through, uh, roughly fifty of them were other dads going, "Yep, I am in too." If you can't help out, pass on the name, and um, and I'll do the same. And I just think it's a really nice example of people being of service at this time of year.
2: Yeah, the other thing that I heard recently was a family where you have to make your Christmas present. Because one of the things that I dislike about the approach that a lot of retailers have to Christmas, it is about a a cash and grab. And this family said, well, we're not going to buy into that this year. This year we're going to make each other presents. And I think that is great because it stimulates the creativity, got to put some thought into it. And let's face it, if a child or a mate gives you something they made I think to me that has a lot more emotion and feeling attached to
3: it than just something you went to the store and bought. Absolutely. Totally, I agree. But I've got to say it's funny that coming from an ex-retail man. Well, I've got to say that we went
2: down to the paddock with the still, hello to my friends at Still Chainsaws, and (laughs) we... we we knocked down a tree just recently and a young kid who lives a couple of paddocks across from me, chris O's, we knocked the tree, handed him a lump of wood. He disappeared into the shed and next morning reappeared covered in dust. And he'd been given a lathe and he has created two beautiful bowls. Oh, wow. Uh, which are going to be presents for my mum and my mother-in-law, neither of whom <laughs> listen to the show, so I'm so <laughs> And uh, it's a beautiful piece of woodwork. I mean, this kid is really, really good. Uh, but the fact that he made it, I just think, and it comes from the property, I think has a lot, the story that goes with it, I think, is a lot more powerful than going and buying perfume or hand cream.
0: The Mojo Radio Show.
2: Something to take us out today, that guy being of service to others and fifty odd dad saying, I'm in. We know that being of service to others, helping others, is probably one of the greatest precursors to happiness and fulfilment. And that really should be the spirit of Christmas. So I think that's a nice uh, it's a nice way for us to get out. What is our play out song this week? The boss. We're out.
0: Merry Christmas, baby show is produced and recorded in the studios of voodoo sound for more tips and tools to get your mojo working check us out on facebook at the mojo radio show or online at the mojo radio for more about gary see garybirtwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production check out voodoo and for the right voice realtimecasting.com Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.